This is The Guardian. Today, it was one of the biggest political headaches thrown up by Brexit. This week, how a deal was finally done to get power sharing in Northern Ireland back on track. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. After a boycott lasting 726 days, on Monday, on a freezing, stormy evening, with protesters gathering outside. The leader of the Democratic Unionist Party, Geoffrey Donaldson, convened his colleagues at a venue in County Down to decide whether to put the Northern Irish government at Stormont back to work. And it went on for hours and hours and hours. Uh, There was additional drama by the fact that it was being supposed to be a confidential private meeting, but somebody was... Uh, had a, appeared to be wearing a wire, and they were transmitting it uh, to one of Jeffrey Donaldson's biggest critics. And he was live tweeting the whole event minute by minute. And so, when eventually Jeffrey Donaldson emerged uh, after midnight, a lot of the, the, the press back there thought it's all gone pear shaped. That I mean, the meeting's gone on for five hours. You know, had he his ducks lined up in a row, it should not have taken so long. I want to make a statement first of all and then happy to take some questions. In February 2020, But surprise, surprise, he announces that in fact the executive of the party have endorsed his deal. I am pleased to report that the party executive has now endorsed the proposals that I have put to them. This is the party, the party that you know made its name saying no and saying never, but this time they said yes to a deal. And this was the breakthrough that so many people have been waiting for for so long. Nearly eight years since the Brexit vote threw the future of Northern Ireland into uncertainty. In the early hours of Tuesday, clarity finally emerged. The deal struck this week means Northern Ireland will once again have a functioning government. It's solved, for now, one debate over the country's future. But... With the Nationalist Party Sinn Féin about to lead the power-sharing arrangement for the first time ever, is it just the beginning of another? From The Guardian, I'm Michael Safi. Today in Focus, a deal to get Stormont running again and maybe to transform the politics of Northern Ireland. Rory Carroll, you're The Guardian's island correspondent, and you've been reporting on the drama in Northern Ireland this week. A lot of it comes down to one thing, Brexit. Explain to me in as simple terms as possible why Brexit was uniquely challenging for Northern Ireland. Because by its 
very nature Brexit required a border. Northern Ireland does not have to rely on the Irish government or the European Union to prevent a return to borders of the past. There's only one red line in these matters and that's when we are treated differently from the rest of the United Kingdom in terms There will of have to be a system for customs checks away from the, the UK is no. leaving, or Great Britain is leaving the European Union. Okay, so we will need borders because trade barriers and, you know, you've left the block. That had to be border. Had to be, and the question was, where? There's two options. One, one between the north of Ireland and the south of Ireland, which, of course, remains in the European Union. Um, but this was deemed unwise and politically untenable for various reasons. And so the alternative was to have a border in the Irish Sea on trade between Northern Ireland and the rest of the UK, meaning England, Wales and Scotland. And so the British government, the Irish government, the European Union eventually agreed that this would be what would happen. Okay, so this solution that they found, which was a kind of fudge that treated Northern Ireland as more closely tied to the EU than the rest of the UK, was very unpopular with a key group in Northern Ireland. Who were they? Unionists. Virtually no unionists liked this fact that Northern Ireland uh, was staying, in a sense, within the European Union market for goods, which meant that there had to be checks on goods uh, coming from the UK into Northern Ireland. At one of Belfast's peace lines last night, the peace was broken. In the hands of teenagers, petrol bombs thrown in both directions over the wall. The concern was that this would kind of undermine Northern Ireland's position in the UK and put it on a slippery slope towards, firstly, an all-Ireland economy and then eventually uh, political union with the south of Ireland, which, if you're a unionist, that's something you do not want to do. Why do you think this is happening? I don't think young people really understand the details in terms of the Irish sea border and stuff. I think what they're being told and what they're seeing reflected in the, in the media is that Sinn Féin are winning, the Republicans are winning. So the unionists and their biggest political party, the DUP, hate this deal so much that they take the nuclear option. They storm out of the power-sharing agreement with the nationalists Sinn Féin in Belfast. How did they justify doing something that drastic? They said that they had no choice, that this was almost an existential issue for Northern Ireland, and that it was not something that could be blocked or opposed within Stormont, within the power-sharing structures of the Good Friday Agreement, and therefore they, they had to do this nuclear option. Today marks the end of what has been the privilege of my lifetime, to serve as the First Minister of Northern Ireland. By them just walking out, that pulled down the whole edifice of power sharing at Stormont because without that one party, everything falls apart. And so they had that power and they used it. But have a look at this over here. You can see the change in the share of the vote compared with last time. A few months after the DUP pulled out of the power sharing agreement, there were elections in Northern Ireland and we got a chance to see what voters thought of what they had done. What was their verdict? It was an electoral triumph for the DUP. This point is often not appreciated outside of Northern Ireland, that up until that point, the DUP had been in complete disarray. They had misjudged Brexit. They hadn't really realised the implications of what it would mean for Northern Ireland. And kind of the backdraft toppled two DUP leaders and left the party looking weak, confused. They didn't know what they were doing. And so their support base crumbled. 
Jeffrey Donaldson was elected then on the basis of trying to, to resolve this and try to save the party. And it was under his watch that they withdrew from Stormont. And this proved very popular with unionist voters and certainly with their support base. It restored the, the party's electoral fortunes. At least it, it averted electoral annihilation and punishment by unionist voters. A divided unionism doesn't deliver additional seats at Westminster or, or indeed at Stormont. That's the reality of the situation. And therefore, that said, that, uh, the party still came second to Sinn Féin, which emerged as the biggest party in Northern Ireland. A guard of honour for Sinn Féin's party leadership. The history makers. They are a party for a united Ireland, long linked to the provisional IRA as the terror group's political wing. The idea Sinn Féin could win an election in Northern Ireland was once unthinkable. Now, the reality. That meant that under the rules of power sharing, the first minister would, for the very first time, be somebody from Sinn Féin. And the DUP, which for so long had the first minister post, would now have to have to play second fiddle and be deputy first minister. And I mean, if you're a member of the DUP, the idea of playing second fiddle to, of all parties, Sinn Féin, like, that's not exactly an incentive to get power sharing and storm on up and running again. Exactly. I mean, it's a big psychological shock. Because even though the positions of first minister and deputy first minister have equal power and equal authority, but of course, symbolically, and symbols matter so much in Northern Ireland, it's a huge deal that, you know, Sinn Féin, a nationalist, a Republican, who in fact doesn't even believe in the, in the point of Northern Ireland, doesn't even want Northern Ireland to exist, should be elected come first minister, was a huge shock. So, yes, I mean, that is a, quite a big disincentive. And in fact, Sinn Féin and so many nationalists felt that this was the real reason why the DUP walked out. That was kind of like, OK, you know, we're taking our football and we're walking away because we don't want Sinn Féin's Michelle O'Neill to be first minister. But as I have made clear this morning, we have taken the decision not at this stage to support the election of a speaker. I believe that we need to send a very clear message to the European Union and to our government uh, that we are serious about getting this... And so the person at the centre of this, the person who had brought the government undone and had the power to put it back together, was this guy, Jeffrey Donaldson. Tell me a little bit about him. If you see him on TV, you hear him on the radio, he's a very softly spoken, reasonable sounding man, which he is. I mean, he's by nature a pragmatist, uh, a deal maker. He spent many, many years at Westminster and although he came up through kind of the, the, the flintier sides of, of unionist politics, he is seen as someone who is a very polished professional politician. So that was made it all the odder that it wasn't some fire-breathing Paisleyite who lurched into this kind of political impasse. It was, in fact, the, the smooth-talking, um, reasonable-sounding Jeffrey Donaldson. And so the election two years ago left Northern Ireland in that very political impasse. But incredibly, since then, there hasn't been a government there. How can that be? How can a place just not have a government for two years? Yeah, you would think it could, you know, lend itself to Mad Max anarchy and uh, and, and so on, and th- which was not the case, of course. What we have had is a form of kind of zombification uh, or autopilot, whereby the civil servants have to step up and they have to start taking 
decisions that would normally be taken by ministers. If the Northern Ireland Assembly has failed to uh, form a government by midnight tonight, then ministers who've been there in a kind of shadow form since the Assembly was dissolved cease to hold office, at which point the civil service effectively steps in to govern... So the bureaucracy continues functioning and bills are still paid and so forth, but that they, the civil servants, cannot take major decisions. They can't kind of change policy or make policy. And all of this is being kind of overseen somewhat at arm's length by the Northern Ireland Secretary, but who keeps a certain distance because they want to avoid what's so-called as direct rule, meaning kind of London making the you know the day-to-day decisions. So we've had that for two years. And now Northern Ireland is wearily familiar with this because Sinn Féin, they did a walkout in 2018, 2019, I think, and that lasted three years when Stormont was defunct. So Northern Ireland is quite familiar with this kind of autopilot. But the problem was that this happened then to coincide with the cost of living crisis, with inflation, and with the acceleration of the crumbling of public services. And so what does that mean in a period of, as you say, an energy crisis, people struggling to get by? What does it mean for Northern Irish people to have basically nobody in charge? Who do you complain to? You know, when your school is running out of funding or can't keep the heating on, you know, do you complain to your local assembly member? Well, you can, but what's the point? Because, you know, the assembly isn't even sitting. And so it leads to lots of frustration and cynicism about politics. Everybody's sick of the nonsense of it storming. We just want a government that governs. Some of the levers that they've been able to pull in the past has been been a discounted rates policy or or, or, or rates holiday, which is which is what we're asking for at the moment. But we can't ask anybody because there's nobody in, in, in situ to be able to do that. We're all just stuck waiting for answers that we're scared but never can get because we're all wondering if the stuff we want solved will be solved or if it'll even be talked about at some point. And then we saw that increasingly manifest in the last few months with strikes. It was billed as the biggest strike day in Northern Irish history. Teachers, nurses, bus and rail workers and civil servants among the tens of thousands demanding fairer pay. Um, Because public sector workers were not receiving pay rises that they were supposed to receive. Now, in the midst of a, of a cost of living crisis, you can imagine that, that, you know, bus drivers, train drivers, teachers, nurses, all saying that they can't pay their mortgage now because they haven't received um, their pay rises. We're the worst paid nurses in the whole of the UK. Um, we're talking thousands of pounds difference between what nurses in Northern Ireland earn compared to England, but uh, thousands again compared to Scotland. Hence, we saw two weeks ago the biggest strike in recent history in Northern Ireland when uh, more than 11 unions came together for strikes. So this was a sign just of the kind of the anomie or the the, the complete kind of gradual deterioration of the, the public sphere. And so I think people over time are getting more and more fed up. And over that time, were there efforts to get the government up and running again? And why weren't they working? There were repeated efforts to do so. The Assembly has today been unable to elect a Speaker Therefore, we can proceed no further. This isn't a serious attempt to restore uh, the principles of power sharing and these institutions. It's a stunt. The DUP certainly was under pressure from the Irish government. The British government was desperate to get Stormont restored because it was an embarrassment um, to them. And also the European Union, you know, felt like, you know, it wasn't a good look for them either that Northern Ireland was stuck in this paralysis, partly because of Brexit. And so... Despite all of this pressure, though, DUP stood firm and said, no, we, we will not 
bend on this unless and until our concerns are taken seriously, un unless, you know, these trade arrangements between the Northern Ireland and Britain are, you know, seriously overhauled. What we, what we can do is fix that. It's not a big deal. Uh, we can fix it in such a way as to remove those bureaucratic barriers, but without putting up barriers on trade moving north-south in the island of Ireland uh, as well. And That's so, we you know, Boris Johnson tried and floundered, he kept promising to try and fix things. All he did was really aggravate the European Union and Brussels without fixing anything. And that's why I've spent a lot of time together with Chris and others working really hard to try and find a resolution on that thorny issue. And I'm really pleased. In fact, I'm, I'm over the moon that yesterday we managed to have a decisive breakthrough with our negotiations with the EU. Rishi Sunak, when he came in, he actually did fix things to some extent with the Windsor framework, which was agreed a year ago, this actually did soften some of the impact of the Northern Ireland Protocol that his predecessor had agreed. And so the DP was quite relieved with this. They thought, well, thank you. Yeah, we, we appreciate this and we see the virtues of it, but it's not enough. We need more. We need more concessions. We need more assurances. Well, we've been assessing the uh, Windsor framework now uh, since it was launched. Uh, I've already outlined some of the key concerns that we have about these proposals. And so that's why we've had an additional year of stasis whilst the DUP and the British government have been engaged in this kind of tortuous behind-the-scenes negotiations to see you know, whereby you're having the British government trying to come up with some sort of solution that would appease the DUP without unravelling the Windsor framework and then starting a whole new row with Brussels. The DUP was doing this, saying no again and again, boycotting Stormont, because they said they were protecting the union. Was this stance, this intransigence that they were showing, good for them politically? Yes, it absolutely was, and thereby lay the problem, because it proved actually very popular with the, the grassroots, with DUP supporters, and even with some non-DUP unionist supporters. And this was partly because unionists had additional grievances and this kind of creeping sense that, you know, things are just going too much the way of, of Sinn Féin and nationalists. And here was a, a fight to pick in which you could kind of assert your identity and, and muster some strengths. And so this actually did prove popular, so much so that it then became increasingly difficult for Geoffrey Donaldson to begin to kind of climb down from this. Conference, I still believe in devolved government. This party believes in having locally elected representatives take decisions in the best interests of our people, all our people. Amid you know, the DUP's uh, stubbornness on this, there was, of course, the great unfolding irony that here we had you know, the supposed guardians of Northern Ireland's place in the UK making Northern Ireland appear ungovernable and making Northern Ireland appear dysfunctional and like a failed political entity, which is exactly what Sinn Féin had been wanting and been trying to do for decades. And here you had the DUP of all people doing that, you know, making the place, you know, like a zombified government. And in fact, and then instead of then Sinn Féin, even more irony by irony, being the supposed kind of adults in the room, playing the responsible card of like, we just want to solve problems. We want to, you know, fix our schools. And this kind of, in a sense, play to the, the Sinn Féin playbook, which is that Northern Ireland is a failed state and that it should be united with Ireland, with the Republic of Ireland. 
And we must not allow Republicans to perpetuate the myth that Northern Ireland is a failed and ungovernable political entity. And so, you know, Jeffrey Donaldson is not a stupid man. I mean, he was more than aware of this. And so that was why he had to try and get himself off the hook that the DUP had them impaled themselves on. Um, because the longer they stayed on it, uh, the more damage they were doing to the very union they, they were professing to, to want to save. So the top story on this Tuesday morning, the DUP has endorsed a deal to return to power sharing in Northern Ireland after almost two years of protest. And so then he managed to finally get himself off this hook on Monday night. What changed? Why did this breakthrough happen now? Because I think two reasons. One, Rishi Sunak did actually give additional concessions. Uh, they did tweak the Windsor Agreement and so that it gave Jeffrey Donaldson some cover or some kind of a, a victory that he could bring back and show to his supporters. And secondly, it was that he himself felt, you know, just the time was up. He couldn't keep on leaving the dysfunction to continue indefinitely and that he had to stand up to the, the refuseniks within the DUP and also harder line unionists outside the DUP who would never be appeased. I mean, no matter what he got, so I think he felt that, you know, the time had come just to confront them. And he had felt that he did have a majority, not a big one, but just enough of majority in his party to, to get the deal over the line. This package, I believe, safeguards Northern Ireland's place in the union and will restore our place within the UK internal market. It will remove checks for goods moving within the UK and remaining in Northern Ireland. And what do we know about the deal that was finally struck between the DUP and the UK government? On the trade side, that there will be the lifting of checks from goods that are travelling from Great Britain into Northern Ireland and that are to stay in Northern Ireland. That there's only not that many checks on those goods anyway, but that even those routine checks will now be lifted. There is also going to be a, some assurance that Northern Ireland will have a say over future EU laws and regulations and that if they're not happy, if whatever party in Northern Ireland is not happy with them, they will have a greater use of the so-called Stormont Break, a legislative tool in which they could kind of say, hang on, we're not happy with this latest thing from Brussels, and that this would then be passed on to London. And so therefore, this is a kind of an additional protection for Northern Ireland to not be bossed around by, by Brussels. Also, there is a kind of a constitutional, and say guarantee, but assurance that will be off Northern Ireland's place in the UK. And so, you know, this is a package of measures uh, which basically boils down to, you know, the DP saying, okay, the sea border is a lot less than it used to be and that we can try to live with this. We now come to the statement to call the Secretary of State for Northern Ireland. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Mr Speaker, with your permission, I'd like to make a statement on Northern Ireland executive formation. This Saturday... Hanging... Over all of these talks and political dramas is the fact that Northern Ireland has a fiscal crisis. Its public services are crumbling at a rate faster than most other places in the UK. And so the British government in December said, OK, we have £3.3 billion that we can give you to help fix some of these problems, at least for the coming year. But, and this was kind of like a, like almost like a mafioso, but we're not going to give it to you unless Stormont is back up and running. Now, of course, this was a very, you know, transparent effort to pressure and leverage the DUP. And it didn't quite work initially in December, but I think what really did help was 
the strikes that we saw, these big strikes um, by public sector workers two weeks ago, brought home to a lot of people in Northern Ireland, this can't go on forever. You know, we need we need that money. Uh, we need to have our buses operating. We need our schools open and so on. And so I think that kind of helped kind of form a mood in Northern Ireland that made parts of the DUP more receptive to this deal. Rory, given this two-year story, what I'm curious about is, is this an amazing diplomatic win by the DUP or actually, is it just an admission of defeat, them recognising the political reality and saying, let's just take a deal? I think it's a victory, actually, in some ways for the DUP. Um, because if you rewind to two years ago, when they walked out of Stormont, um, everybody then was saying, well, this is useless. You're not, you're not going to achieve anything. The whole might of the European Union is behind this deal. The British government has agreed the deal. The Irish government is behind it. You're not going to budge. You're not going to move the dial just by kind of flouncing out of out of Stormont, because you're tiny. I mean, in Westminster stakes, I mean, the DP is, is is negligible, and yet here we are, two years later. Okay, lots of damage to Northern Ireland and lots of dramas, and yet they have actually done it. They get the protocol dumped, and it was replaced by the Windsor framework, which is an improvement from their point of view, and then they still held firm, and they got the Windsor framework tweaked as well. So they didn't get everything by any means, but in fact, they got more than a lot of people, including myself, expected. So in that sense, it's, I would call it somewhat of a victory or a minor victory for the DUP against big odds. The question is, you know, but how much damage was done to Northern Ireland and also to their greater cause, which is the union? Coming up, if Stormont is back and Sinn Féin is its largest party... What does that mean for the future of the Union and for a united Ireland? Oh, hello. Hey. Hi. It sounds like you're enjoying this episode, but if you're looking for something a little different, then Weekend might be your cup of tea. We feature the best pieces from The Guardian and Observer, from Marina Hyde and John Crace to celebrity interviews and lifestyle pieces. Listen every Saturday, wherever you get your podcasts. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Today in Focus is supported by BetterHelp. Here's a question. If you had an extra hour in your day, what would you do with it? Watch TV? Read a book? Meet up with a friend? Maybe a little nap? A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. But for what? Perhaps to best answer that, you need to work out what's truly important to you, then make that a priority. Therapy can help you work out what's most important to you. It isn't just for those who've unfortunately experienced trauma in their lives. Therapy can be helpful for learning positive coping skills and for setting boundaries. It can empower you to be the best version of yourself. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online 
and designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash todayinfocus today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash todayinfocus. So Rory, how quickly could the assembly at Stormont be back up and running? There's some expectation that we could see it up and running by as early as Saturday. And if they do that, the first act there would be to elect a speaker. Um, it appears that that speaker would be Edwin Poots, a uh, former DUP leader. Also, we would then see the executive minister's names, Michelle O'Neill of Sinn Féin as first minister. We don't yet know who the DUP's nominee would be for deputy first minister, but the shape of Northern Ireland's new government may be clear as early as Saturday. Uh, First Minister in waiting. (laughs) Well, obviously I'm very glad that we're at this juncture and I do think it is a day of optimism and some hope out there for the wider public. And so if the Stormont government is up and running again as soon as tomorrow, as soon as Saturday, it's going to have Sinn Féin at the head of it. How significant a moment in Northern Irish history will that be? Seismic is a word that springs to mind um, because psychologically, symbolically, it's a huge moment. Um, I mean, Sinn Féin is a party that doesn't even use the term Northern Ireland because it considers Northern Ireland an illegitimate entity. So they often refer to the North of Ireland or the North. So imagine you have a first minister who of Northern Ireland and, and she won't want to say that. You know, and this was a state designed in 1921. Forgive, you know, Ireland, you always have to go back in the history, but, but founded in 1921 and designed to have a permanent kind of Protestant unionist majority. And yet here we are where it's, you know, we have a a nationalist, not only a nationalist, but a Republican politician as first minister. So in that sense, it's absolutely huge, but does not actually necessarily entail radical change is the the kind of the, the caveat to all of that. And the reason is that a united Ireland is not necessarily any closer, you know, under the Sinn Féin first minister, because the numbers still simply do not stack up. Um, I mean, the reason Sinn Féin is now the biggest party, it's not because suddenly a majority in Northern Ireland want a united Ireland. They don't. Only about, according to opinion polls, about 30 to 40 percent would consider voting for united Ireland, whereas a much clearer majority, you know, would favour the status quo. And really, for Sinn Féin, I mean, their eye in some ways will be as much on the south of Ireland. They'll want Northern Ireland to function and to function well so that they can use that as an advertisement to voters in the south of Ireland to say, look, you can trust us in government because they very much hope to come into power in the south of Ireland at the next election. because you started by telling us about the way that Brexit presented this unique challenge to the future of Northern Ireland. But if this deal holds, I wonder if the region could end up with the kind of best of both worlds, a functioning power sharing agreement, but also the ability to trade freely with both the EU and the UK. 
that is absolutely a possibility. And business leaders who speak to, you know, small and big business owners in Northern Ireland, they're begging for this. They say, look, you know, we see this opportunity is there for us, you know, to take advantage of this. Of, of this. What we need is some political stability and for that shower and storm and to get their act together. And, you know, we can prosper, we can thrive, you know, and there is a lot of ingenuity in Northern Ireland. So, yes, absolutely. And an additional irony, if that should that happen, and it, would, it could happen under the watch of a Sinn Féin first minister, well, that could actually end up damaging Sinn Féin's hopes of a united Ireland because the better Northern Ireland works. I mean, of course, Sinn Féin will try to take the credit for that, saying, look, we're your responsible politicians and, 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 and stewards of the state. But it will also, you know, establish Northern Ireland as well. It's, it's working. So therefore, why, for people in the Northern Ireland voters, why then change? Why take the risk, uh, the big leap into the dark of unity with the Republic? So that successful vision of a Northern Ireland could actually then be ultimately the thing that really seals and cements Northern Ireland's position in the UK. Mm. Ironies heaped on ironies. Rory Carroll, thank you very much. Thank you, Mike. That was Rory Carroll, The Guardian's Ireland correspondent, whose coverage of this deal and the return of Stormont is at theguardian.com. And that is it for today. This episode was produced by Sammy Kent. Sound design was by Solomon King. The executive producer was Phil Maynard. Have a good weekend. We're back with you on Monday. This is The Guardian. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.